We're at the campsite, campfire side. Right. Campfire side stories. Fireside camp stories. I don't fucking know. What do you call this? I've never been to camp. Campfire stories? Campfire stories. Singing around the campfire. Welcome back to the Shaken Not Scared podcast. Here with you as always, your host, Eric and Vivi. Today we're going to be talking about the 1981 film, Friday the 13th, part two, directed by Steve Miner. Before we get into that, how are you, Vivi? I feel like poop. Me too. Why do you feel like poop? Well, if you could probably tell from the nasally sound of my voice this week, I've had what I'm assuming is pretty bad allergies for the last two days. Can you still taste and smell things? I can. And also allergy meds helped me for a couple hours at least. So I don't think it's COVID. Uh, okay. Fingers crossed. Good. It was just really bad timing because you literally just had LASIK. And so I've kind of had to stay up a little bit more it, to take care of you. It was quite the horror story of a procedure. I don't it, know if I'm going to explain it. It looks like a horror story. Your eyes look terrifying. Go ahead and tell the lovely people what happened to your eyeballs. Trigger warning, Eric's about to describe some eyeball stuff. So if you don't like that, don't (laughs) listen to this next part. They tell you it's going to be like, you're going to feel a little discomfort, but they don't tell you that there's a suction thing that basically touches your eye. Your sight goes black and then you can feel them like carving a ring around what's suctioned. They had to do my left eye twice because apparently my eyelids were shutting past the little device. Difficult. Yeah, they were like, you need to stop. So you couldn't see the laser or you could see the laser? The laser comes after this suction piece. Okay. They were saying, continue to look down. I'm like, I can't see where I'm looking at. They then move you to the other side of this bed where you can see the laser going, and you have to stare at this little red light that keeps flashing. Yeah. You can hear a lady in the background counting down every 10 seconds. When I got up, I didn't realize how bad it was going to be. And then that night they're like, it's going to start to hurt this evening. So you should probably go to bed, but also stay up because you got to do two sets of eye drops before you go to bed. I'm like, so then do I go to bed or not? I wish I didn't have to put the eye drops in because that night was brutal. That's probably why I feel sick too. Your body's probably just focusing on healing the one piece of your body that's the weakest, which is your eyeballs. It is crazy though that it's one day. You weren't even in there two hours, I think. And it's a procedure where you get literal lasers in your eyeballs and you're out the same day. The procedure itself took like max five minutes even. Like, Jesus Christ. The part that takes the longest is them getting the topical to take effect on the eyes so that it's numb. Once you're in there, it's like you're done. It was kind of just a shit show because my car has been in the shop. I couldn't drive. We had an Uber. <laughs> you were in pain. I couldn't control anything because it's the Uber driver. I'm not trying to discourage anybody from getting LASIK. Just saying that like it really does suck. And when they say it's going to hurt a little bit, it hurts a lot. So, <laughs> well, But within the first two days, I can see a little bit. They did say like farsightedness is probably the last thing that will come back. And I was farsighted before. So for me, it's kind of weird because I can see close now. That is wild. You yeah. need to be able to see without glasses. Well, I guess that answers the question of how are you? We have so much to explain this week. So much to It's the second about. week of spooky season. We got to hang out with our friends over at the How Did We Miss This podcast. They're also going in their spooky mood. We talked to Kevin in the woods, so go check them out. Probably link it in the show notes. And then we're also hanging out with our friends over at Always Room for More podcast tomorrow. It's going to be cool. I don't know if we actually have a plan for that one. I think they're just going to talk everything horror since it's also horror season for them. I believe they just released their own horror podcast. Yeah, it's called The More Horror Emporium. I started listening to it a little bit this morning. It sounds pretty cool. Exciting. Along with collabing with our other pod fam, Sheree from Nightmare on Fear Street, actually reached out to us a couple weeks ago and asked if we wanted to help her write an article. Well, she wrote the article. We just provided the drinks for Dread Central, which is pretty cool. 
she gave us a list of films that she was covering for Hispanic Heritage Month, and we just made the cocktails to go along with each movie. So we did about five. If you guys want to check that out, hopefully before October 16th, because that's the end of Hispanic Heritage Month, we'll have the videos for those drinks up somewhere. Yeah, thanks so much for Nightmare on Fear Street for even thinking about us. Yeah, so cool. I love this month so much. Oh, yeah. Again, <laughs> I just wish our bodies were ready. That's probably why we're Come sick on. now. It's like get it out of the ready. way. Yeah. What do you got for creepy content? I watched this film called Malevolent. It is a film featuring Florence, I don't know. Puke, Pug. Puke, Pug. I apologize. Call myself a horror fan. The lead of Midsummer. It's available on Netflix. She plays a fake medium. Her brother sets up this paranormal business where they go enter these houses and perform seances and things of that nature. And she is ready to quit. But I think this is a theme I've seen in a couple of these. They actually stumble across an actual haunting. And it takes a turn. Probably one of the better ones that I've watched on Netflix. I've been trying to find some hidden gems on there. I like those types of movies. Like Hell House is kind of like that where a crew comes in, wants to make it scary, and then something actually is happening in the background. I think those are always fun. Yeah, it's kind of like that vibe, but more true crimey. I bought this book called House of Leaves. It's supposed to be a book that is very interestingly written. It's like puzzles and mysteries and letters, and it's like found footage in a book is how I've heard it described. Is it like a scrapbook type? It is a thick book and when you scroll through it, you see like some pages are like half filled, some are not. It's interesting looking. I just started it while you were in surgery, so I didn't get to read that much ahead, but it's been interesting so far. That's cool. Awesome. Probably want to read it after. It's thick. I'm hoping I can get through it because I'm usually a audio book girl lately. Do you think an audio book version of this would even work? I don't think so. You have to have a hard copy. Yeah, because I'm a loser and I listen to audio books more often, so I'll probably have to actually read it once you're done. I'm sure everybody else was excited for this but Elvira's 40th anniversary very scary very special special on Shudder it was really cool we thought it was going to be a lot like her older show where it was going to show clips of movies because it kind of came off that way in the beginning but they really just play Elvira Mistress of the Dark the film from the 80s which is still fun I love that movie and actually the first time and last time I had seen that movie I fell asleep not because I didn't like it but I think I was sick you were sick last time yeah (laughs) and then I was the one who pretty much watched it (laughs) yeah so it was cool to watch it awake this time I'm kind of really glad she's kind of coming back from what we saw she's now gonna have a series on Netflix Netflix and chills with Dr. Elvira yeah and she is gonna do a horror movie every Sunday I believe only for October though right I'm not sure I want it forever here for it either (laughs) way so much stuff I want to watch this month creep shows back we haven't even finished season two and then stranger things season four I think is coming soon Halloween kills is out this weekend we got to go watch a couple things actually carnage and venom's out the Adams Family 2 is out. I love the first one. <laughs> yeah, I love anything Adams Family. So. Yeah. What we're trying to say is that now is the time to get into spooky season and watch everything horror. Awesome. Well, let's dive into the drink. What do you got? Okay, so I am calling this one Jason Listen to Mother's Shrunken Head. I might shorten the name for the Instagram, but... <laughs> The original recipe is not ours. It is from a TikToker called Join Jewels. We featured one of her drinks before. What we wanted to make different in it is make it into a punch. And we added our own little shrunken heads. So there was a couple of ways that we 
could have done it, you can do it, it's up to you. There is a classic video out there on the internet where you could carve apples to look like shrunken heads. What we did was create jello shots with the same ingredients of the drink, adding grenadine or some simple syrup for coloring, which I made the mistake of not doing. This very much just tastes like edible alcohol. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I had a taste of the jello shot and- It was not great. I, mean, I like strong drinks. If someone doesn't like the strong taste of the jello shot, they could just chase it with the actual drink itself. I don't know if I made this clear, but the jello shot is in the shape of a head. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's you said it, actually. It's not just a floating jello shot if you're wondering where the shrunken head is coming from. How did you make a shrunken head jello shot? Right now would be a good time to make this because there's a lot of pumpkin head, skull head molds that you could get at Walmart or Target. I just filled it up with a jello shot. We used the clear jello. Right? Yes, because I wanted it to be like skin colored, but the <laughs> drink is also skin colored, so it just kind of blends it. <laughs> That's good though. So. I like this. Four. What do you rate it? Oh. <laughs> I give you mine. Yeah, you, you jumped ahead of me there. I really like this drink. It's a five out of five for me. It's like fall in a glass. That's why I, I like it. Cider is awesome. Yeah. Very fall. Drink cider all day. Well, good job. Cheers. Try it. Now's the time. It's definitely a fall drink. Enjoy. Fun facts. Are you ready? Yes. Adrian King, who plays Alice, had some pretty bad luck in this film as well as the first one. In the first one, I don't know if you remember, she had that incident with Betsy Palmer, who plays Mrs. Voorhees, and gets slapped for real. Well, in this one, the prop guy forgot to replace the ice pick with a retractable one and actually got stabbed with it. Not like, you know, impaled, but yeah, they hurt her and she was injured and bled and everything. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, she was making jokes about it even after and was like, you know, for the next one, just aim for the hole that's there from the last time. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Apparently she was slated to be the main character of this one too, but I read some places that the real reason she wasn't in it was because there were conflicts with budget where the agent was asking for too much money. But then there were other stories that seemed to be the original reason that after the first film, she got a stalker. So oh, it no. made her stop wanting to be in this film and kind of acting in general. That is terrible if it's the stalker story. The whole agent not being able to negotiate for the actor's return, I feel like is a common theme in these part twos that we're going to see a lot. Yeah, if your first film takes off, the second one you're going to be like, yeah, give me more money. If not, Obviously. Like, you need me. But I guess in some cases, they don't actually need you. <laughs> they just kill off your character, like um, Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she was so not in the film that they even forgot to give her a script. At the beginning, when she's on the phone, it's all ad-libbed. Oh my god, <laughs> that's kind of rude. <laughs> I don't even know if it was like a favor that she did to actually still come back for a little bit because you would think that because the agent wanted too much, they would just been like, well, no, we don't want you and kill you off screen. But they still brought her back for a little bit. So maybe there was some compromise there. Reminds me a lot of the opening in Scream where you think Drew Barrymore is going to be the main character and she's killed off immediately. If you look at this film next to the first one, there's a lot of the same. It follows a very specific formula, which I am excited to see in the next films because I know it completely leaves this formula later oh, on in the yep. franchise. You're thinking that they leave the formula once he starts going to like Manhattan and space and shit? I mean, I'm gonna <laughs> guess that that's no longer the formula. I think I asked you in this one, like, is it still Camp Crystal Lake? You said it's always Camp Crystal Lake. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know really. that it is. Yeah. yeah. In this one, the way they get around it is just by saying that they're at the camp across that lake, but it's still the same lake. It's like the counselor training camp or something. Yeah. At Vivi's request, this one is about who was assigned to do the makeup effects. Special effects, makeup effects, same thing? Mm, I think so. Well, originally Tom Savini was assigned, but 
he had another commitment, so they turned to Stan Winston, who also had conflicts. So then they ended up falling on Carl Fullerton, who went on to do things like Philadelphia, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, I asked you for this fact because I feel like Savini has a very particular style, and you can tell that it's not his work. I wonder what it would have been like if it was him. Probably Uh, more kills. Yeah, I felt like they shied away from showing a lot of the kills in this one, which I missed. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but half of the group doesn't stay at the camp. Yeah. Because... The makeup effects couldn't. Yeah. This is just shame on me. I don't know if Carl Fullerton went on to be like the master of special effects like Tom Savini is known. It could have also been his like first major film and you know, you get better. Silence of the Lambs. I remember being very bloody. So if you know, let us know. Yeah. But the scene at the end of the film when we get to stare at Mrs. Voorhees' beautiful dead head. There's an alternate ending where she winks and smiles at the camera. That's what I was waiting for. Oh, the whole time because it just dwells on her face for so long. I was waiting for her to open her eyes or something i'll bring it up when we get there but there's a point where i thought that jenny was gonna put her head on <laughs> i don't even know that works there's skulls there it oh, would not yeah. work yeah <laughs> unless it's like he used a mannequin head and put her you know skin over it now you're getting like really into the nitty-gritties here texas chainsaw instead of <laughs> yeah i believe it is your turn for the speed run if i lose i think we need to take two shots because oh no this is too easy <laughs> on. one two three go no are we gonna stop making that joke no no one two Right, go. So we start off with Alice's character. She's getting flashbacks of the first movie. It's like a long time just dwell, dwells on this whole piece of like, hey, remember what happened last time? They do that. She gets killed in the beginning. It flashes forward to this group. They're going to the camp. It looks like they're going to be training to be camp counselors. We, we get introduced to every single character. They're all playing games and stuff like that. They all get paired off. Half of them go to the bar. Half of them are like going to stay. They all end up doing it. Jason is this person who's a legend. They're like, he's out there, but he's not. And then he slowly he's picking off one by one until the end. He ends up uh, attacking Ginny and Paul. Paul and Ginny are fighting him off. Ginny runs away. Jason tries to kill her. Uh, Paul shows up. Ginny attacks him with a machete. They're like, oh, we're, ha- we're happy and safe. And they end up at the cabin. Uh, Jason crashes through the window. And then hospital scene because Ginny's like, where's Paul? And then the ambulance takes her away. And then we get a shot of her head. Miss wow. Voorhees head. You did it. You had five seconds to spare. Woo! And no two shots for us. No two shots. How many shots are in this jello shot, though? It, it tastes is, very strong. I made a batch of it, so it's like half a cup of moonshine. For a jello shot? No. <laughs> that's not even a shot anymore. That's just jello. Holy, holy crap. I haven't gotten to it yet. Moonshine. I haven't fingered my drink yet. You did finger it earlier. There's a lot of fingering jokes in this movie. There is. Plenty. Oh, <laughs> speaking of fingering, three people played Jason Voorhees in this movie. I didn't take down names, but apparently one of them got his finger smashed. He had already had the machete in his shoulder. So when they went to the emergency room, all the people in the emergency room were spooked. So they were treating his shoulder, <laughs> which is like a prop. And he's like, no, <laughs> my finger, my finger's broken. Yeah. Jesus Christ. What a interesting day to work in that emergency room. So do you want an overview? Yeah. The second entry in the long-running horror series focuses on a group of teenage would-be counselors converging on Camp Crystal Lake for training under the tutelage of the head counselor, Paul. Inevitably, Paul reveals the story of Jason Voorhees, a boy who ostensibly drowned at the camp and whose mother murdered a group of counselors in revenge. No one takes the tale seriously until a very much alive Jason begins gruesomely eliminating people. Huh. You know, this tale still kind of confuses me. For the first movie, it's believed that Jason's for real dead, right? Uh-huh. And he's a kid who died when he was a kid. Yes. Five years later, he's an adult. And in the first movie at the end, he's a child who drags Alice into the water. I don't understand the timeline. One. Two, why is he still alive? If the way that this movie kind of plays out, 
I imagine that Miss Voorhees possibly lived in the shack with Jason five years ago. This is my same question, and I thought maybe later in the lore we get an explanation, because her whole base for killing all those teenagers in the first movie is that her son is dead. Right, and so where has he been this whole time in terms of the first one? Hiding away from his mother, enough to see his mother get killed. Why didn't he reveal himself to her? I also don't understand if... The near drowning is what disfigured him, or if he was was born that that way. If he's deformed because he was underwater for too long, he should be dead. Side note, I would just like everyone to know that I'm talking to Eric and he has sunglasses on inside (laughs) because he's recovering. Too cool for this podcast. So one, he looks funny because he just thinks like he's too cool to be around the house. (laughs) But two, I could see the reflection of the laptop staring at me in his lens. (laughs) It's a little distracting. As long as it's this laptop and not your laptop like last time. Oh yeah, I don't know what happened there. Well, if it happens again, we know that we have a ghost. And then we can talk about it. Or someone's hacking me, which is also not good. You have a webcam cover. I do. We're good. They're just listening to this podcast. Torture's on them, not us. Yeah. (laughs) Could at least give us the download number, sir. Or madam. Or ghost. Okay, so let's dive in anyway. The logic of it. Yeah, (laughs) I wish... Someone made it more clear again, maybe later on we'll find out why. Maybe he is dead and that's why he becomes such a like unkillable monster later on. But do you want to dive into it? My first note of this movie is, does this director have a foot fetish? Why do you say that? So much of the movie, if you actually pay attention, is shot through their feet walking. It's like a lot of scenes of them walking through the woods. They focus on their shoes and sneakers. Like so many scenes where you could easily show the person. I don't know if it was trying to emulate the first movie where you don't know who the killer is but now you know so the only way to get around that is to shoot their feet instead of their face yeah but he's wearing a sack anyways you still don't you don't get revealed the actual jason until later i think the reason is because the film likes to play with suddenly scaring you making you think jason's there and it's not it's not the same thing happens later where we see the cop shows his boots shows a person looking through the tree line Similar to the first one, you automatically assume it's Jason, but then it's Miss Voorhees. And so I think it's a play on that. You think you know who it is, but you don't at all. But you do know who it is. For suspense. Well, now you do. Let's picture 1981. We just saw the first movie a year ago. We see the second one and we got tricked in the first one. So we you're got probably tricked. thinking that she's back. What if she's got a husband? Mr. Voorhees. Yeah. So should we get into the first scene? The whole waste of time because it's like a season recap. <laughs> yes. It's when you've come back to watch the new season. We see the return of Alice. She is having a nightmare. Her nightmare is the entire ending of Friday the 13th, the first one. We get the recap of the beheading of Mrs. Voorhees. Who she is, what her motivation is. Again, if you saw these movies a year apart, this makes sense. So you kind of remember what the storyline is. Did we talk about this in the first one? You know how she says, kill for mommy? That the reason Jason says, is because he's saying kill for mommy. I don't know if we covered it. So correction, the composer, which is Henry Manfredini, the line that inspired him was kill her mommy to make it's kind of fun. Sorry, I'm eating this shot and um, taking in Eric's wisdom here. (laughs) She wakes up startled from her nightmare, jumps in the shower. You'd think you were going to get like a psycho homage in this scene, but instead she opens the shower and she's totally fine. She has had a call with her mother talking about how this is the only way she knows how to get her life back together. I'm assuming she's just moved out of her parents' home and is trying to get some sense of normalcy back. She gets spooked by something outside. Her cat flies through the window and scares her. She's walking around with an ice pick and is like, are you hungry? Opens the fridge and finds a random person's head in the fridge. Which I don't think we ever find out who this is, right? I don't think it matters. (laughs) 
Because she know. dies immediately, and then later she's just like, a girl who was here died five months after she survived. So it's kind of like they throw her whole story out the window. Yes, our final girl is no longer final. The next scene is this town that obviously is near Camp Crystal Lake. The couple park somewhere. They go to a phone booth. Somebody in the background is towing their truck, and they run after it. They soon find out that it was their friend Ted who pulled a prank on them and got some guy to just tow them for fun. He ignores them blatantly, and I was about to be like, I'd be so pissed. Shouldn't they at least tell you where they're towing your car to so you can pick it up? He was so fast, too. He just waits for them to park. One other thing to point out is that in this scene, we get the ominous man from the beginning of the first one as well. This movie loved to kill characters that didn't have an end in the first one because <laughs> mm-hmm. this guy just came to die. And he kind of deserved it because he was being a perv. The couple we find out is Sandra and Jeff. They're making their way to what is Camp Crystal Lake, but on the opposite side of Camp Crystal Lake, it's still Crystal Lake. And they stop in the woods because there is a fallen down tree. While the boys are taking care of it, Sandra's character is kind of wandering the woods and finds the old sign for Camp Crystal Lake. She doesn't know this, but Jason is also watching her as she does this. They make their way eventually to the camp counselor training center where they meet Paul. He's the one who's going to be training everybody. We get introduced to Mark, Terry, Vicky. We also get introduced to Paul's assistant, Ginny, who shows up to the introductions late. Paul and her are having an argument like a couple. Carrying on the theme of the camp counselor director having a relationship with one of his employees. Again, sticking to this formula. (laughs) We find out that Ginny is a child psychologist as well because her car isn't starting. Paul goes to help her and he's like, you got to be gentle with it. Why don't you use some of that child psychology on the car? I was like, the fuck is he talking about? Yeah, (laughs) this line is in this movie just so you know that she's studying child psychology. I don't like when people make comments like this. It like implies that because you went to college, you're not good for anything outside of that. I'm like, you can be capable of both things. You know that. But this line is purely in there. So you know that she studies psychology. Well, and then she gives him a comeback and is like, why use my child psychology on the car if it's funner to do it on you? I've actually heard that theory that a lot of people who study child psychology use it on their husbands and boyfriends. Well, because everybody's got issues. Everyone's got an inner child. Mommy and daddy issues. We're just walking mommy and daddy issues like Jason. Ooh. So we got campfire stories. Paul is telling the legend of Jason Voorhees and Mrs. Voorhees and how this girl five months after having survived Mrs. Voorhees' attack went missing and Jason is potentially out there. And then Ted comes out in a caveman suit because they're like, he could be out there surviving off of the woods. Which is such a like classic... I feel like you see it in cartoons, you see it in other movies where they're telling the scary story and someone has orchestrated to scare them. Just really quick because I found this like super weird. Paul's like obsessed with bears in the woods. He puts it everywhere. He tells them to like stay clean, not to wear perfume, sets traps and stuff. Oh, you know what? What if that's an allusion to later when Vicky puts her perfume on and that's when she gets killed by Jason? That's a good point. The kids are, I write kids because they're supposed to be teenagers. They're all drinking, however, so I'm assuming they're more around the age of like 21 to 23. College, because they just keep talking about what majors they are. Yeah, they are partying in one of the cabins. Some people are doing more exciting things than others. Ginny is playing chess with Paul. Sandra Keeps telling Jeff, like, yo, we need to go over there. We need to go find out if Jason's real. She's super into this story. Jeff is like, dude, no. Which is so weird to see in these movies. Usually it's like the opposite where the dude's being an idiot. Sandra's like really adamant about going. Fun fact about Sandra, not so fun fact. Apparently there was a full frontal nudity scene in the original cut of this film. Paramount found out she's underaged after the fact. I was like, how do you find out after the fact? So they had to cut it, but it was already filmed. Oh, that's not good. And actually, I thought the same thing. She's the only one that looked 
looks like a genuine teenager throughout the whole film. I was like, oh, but she must be of age because she's, you know, doing all these adult theme things. She looked like a teenager. It makes me wonder if she's the only underage one then when she's making out with Jeff, who's possibly of age, he's making out with a minor. That happens a lot in Hollywood, though. Even Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher, like, she was 15 and he was over 18 when they would do their kissing scenes on that mm. 70s show. I think she also lied about her age to get the role. Mm. But it's very easy to check someone's age. Right. That's why that's like, dude, you didn't do a background check? Jenny actually finds the whole thing boring and decides to leave. Did she say, sorry, white man? And she does. <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> we get Ginny going by herself to her cabin. It's a very suspenseful scene. You see someone lurking in their shadow in the background. We find out it's the weird guy from the town. Paul shows up and scares Ginny. They start making out. This is when we see the weird man just staring. Two hands with rope come up behind him on the tree and then just choke him to death. Was it rope? It looked like a chain of some sort. Something it that seems could cause like you to bleed. resourceful and just uses maybe some fishing line. Could be. We kind of alluded to this earlier, but he was kind of being a pervert so you don't exactly feel Sorry for him. He served his purpose. He's got to go. Jenny wakes up. Paul has written, beware of bears with lipstick on the mirror. She's rude. Don't mess up my lipstick for a dumb joke. <laughs> the next morning, they're all waking up to train and the dog who's with Terry. It's like a tiny little shih tzu like, gray shih tzu dog. dogs. Yeah. She's got a little bow. She looks like a little Wookiee, if anything. She does. <laughs> Her name is Muffin. Muffin goes up to Jason. The next scene immediately is hot dogs. So Hilarious. you assume she's dead. Yes. They're cooling off at the beach. Sandra is still insisting to Jeff that they go check out Camp Blood. They sneak off at that moment. Jason is close by behind them. But before anything actually happens to them, they are stopped by a police officer. He then takes them back to Paul and stresses to Paul that they shouldn't be out there wandering. He's trying to play tough, trying to say that he'll get a warrant out for Paul despite knowing that what he's trying to do there is a good thing. Paul just sends Sandra and Jeff away. They don't get seconds of desserts. And the cop's pissed. The cop leaves and he starts driving off and he sees Jason just booking it through the woods and the cop decides to just get off and start chasing after him. We get the longest woods chase scene ever. Again, we cannot stress enough. It was a very long through the woods scene. He does get to the shack. You, the viewer, doesn't see the shocking thing that he sees that makes him go oh my god because at that moment Jason has snuck up behind him and axed him in the back of the head. It's not axe. What is it? It's the back of a hammer. So fun fact. Oh cool. <laughs> we actually haven't gotten to this movie yet. Apparently Halloween 2 and Friday the 13th part 2 share a hammer to the back of a cop's head scene. Oh and this is it? Yeah. We'll see when we get to Halloween 2 I guess. Obviously the teenagers back at the campsite don't know that this has just happened. They're finishing up what seems to be their last stress-free night, stress-free night before the training really gets heavy. Paul tells them it's going to be the last night that they can go out on the town and whoever wants to go can go. Here's where we get to see everyone who's on the death list. <laughs> yes. He says that he is making Sandra and Jeff stay behind because they snuck off earlier. This is their actual punishment. A couple of other people decide to stay behind. Terry stays behind because she's still looking for Muffin. Scott, because he's trying to get with Terry. I pointed out to Eric the second I saw Scott's face, I was just like, I don't like him. There's just something about him I don't like. He's that like. super creepy good looking guy. Yeah, don't like this trope. Vicky stays behind because Mark stays behind. Everyone who stays behind is basically interested in hooking up with somebody else <laughs> is what you need to know here. I mean, are you going to look at them and tell them that they're wrong? I will tell them 
that they're wrong. What's better, doing this or going to the bar and getting hit on by a bunch of random people? According to this movie, getting <laughs> drunk at the bar. <laughs> Once they leave, Terry immediately decides to go for a walk in pitch black darkness and then go for a swim completely naked. I don't know if she's just taking advantage of the fact that not a lot of people are there. It doesn't make a lot of sense because I thought she was looking for muffin. I would never decide to do this because it's fucking gross and you don't know what's in the water during the day, let alone the night. Maybe she's washing off evidence, Jennifer Body style. While she's doing this, Scott decides to be a creep and steals her clothes. I got the vibe that Terry is not that into Scott. Like, Scott is heavily hitting on her the entire time and she's just kind of annoyed with him. Not defending him, but she's also not very tough on him. Maybe there is something there. Earlier in the movie, he also slingshots her butt. I think we talked about this trope about, like, love your abuser. He's picking on her because he likes her and then she's like, oh, into him because of that. It's like, yeah. And I think I've also typical thing we see. I hate this trope because, like, you're an adult. I used to do this to you, didn't I? I used to slam your locker clothes all the time. And look at us now, we're married. 17 and I was 16. <laughs> These are actual like 20-something year old. <laughs> also, I did not know you liked me and I found that very annoying. I know it's spray with water gun. Yeah. yeah. What I'm saying is maybe we would have been married sooner if you just went up to me and were like, I actually like you. <laughs> Mark, I don't think we pointed out, is in a wheelchair. He tells this story to Vicky and says that he like got in an accident and his lower half stopped working. But Jeff and Mark are arm wrestling and I've never had this happen before where where I've been so blatant in front of my friends where I'm like, let's go fuck to my partner. Because that's basically what happens. Sandra goes up to Jeff and is like, so you want to stop wasting time here so we can go do it? And then Vicky immediately takes that opportunity to be like, so you good with your fingers or what? Yeah. (laughs) Again, there was a lot of fingering jokes here, all coming from Vicky. He's like completely (laughs) oblivious. (laughs) He catches on on, though. Eventually, after like the literal position joke where she opens up her legs Uh, yeah no she's very obvious about it and he's taking a minute to catch on man these films really like drive home the point that he hates sexually active teenagers (laughs) while this is happening scott has actually run away with terry's clothes and accidentally falls into one of paul's traps or jason's trap terry's like all right i'll cut you down but you gotta stop being a jerk she goes to find a knife or something to cut him down with scott is waiting there for her hanging upside down keep in mind there's also a lot of pov shots from the forest out to terry and scott jason grabs him by his hair and slices his throat it was scenes like these that made me realize that tom savini was not the special effects chair on this because it's very quick and it cuts away immediately this film is nowhere near as gory as friday the 13th part one the kills were pretty weak on this one it was kind of homage to the first movie as well scott is killed upside down which is how we find a couple of the counselors in the first film take a shot every time we say the first film (laughs) well this is gonna happen with any sequel actually freddy was so different from the first one i feel like we kind of just referenced nancy and then didn't really like we get even debated it. at the end which freddie was better yeah exactly saying. terry goes back and is like stop being a dick all right i'm gonna cut you down and then sees he's dead turns around runs at nothing she screams at the camera and it's just next shot at the bar i think yeah they don't even show her kill no for two characters vicky also kind of just gets it's hinted at yeah dies. i guess i kind of see what this film is trying to do like to pay homage to a lot of the kills in the first one because i feel like that's how kevin bacon's girlfriend i forget her name gets like an axe to the face and you see the whole thing oh the machete thing though. and i feel like vicky's death is supposed to be similar like you're assuming she got the knife to the face i thought you were talking about machete to the face mark yes mark does okay yeah yeah we move back to the bar where ted paul 
Ginny are at the bar, like at the bar bar, the, the actual bar at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> the seating area in the establishment. Yeah, the bar seats, uh, we're the bar, the bartender. For some reason, Ted's collecting beer bottles and hitting on the bartender. He is. Like and you know, idiot. you pointed out that he looks like the main character guy in Ratatouille. And oh I could my not God. see that There's afterwards. no way that they didn't model that character off this guy. Ginny brings up the, the Jason legend intrigues her because she's like, if it were true, how old would he even be today? I really love this exposition because because it kind of explains why part two exists. It had to have been difficult for Jason to have really loved his mother who did everything for him. He probably didn't even know what death was until he saw the murder of his mom. He wants revenge on the person who killed his mother. And at this point, we do know that Alice has gone missing. They haven't been able to find her. I think that's what's implied. So she's implying that Alice is missing because maybe Jason went after her outside of Camp Crystal Lake? At this point, she's speaking hypothetically. She's kind of just like thinking out loud. You know, if she does study child psychology, she's seeing Jason as a child. right paul does this thing that i find very i don't like when people do this when any one person is talking about something that they're clearly interested in and then their partner shuts them down immediately are literally a professional on yeah it's something they are like studying and she literally turns to him and she's like i'm serious i'm trying to have a serious conversation with you and he like talks to her like she's a child i don't like this trope or whatever we're seeing here. If the person you're with is excited about something and is like, hey, I actually want to talk about this, just talk about it. Or just listen to them. Like, I don't know. Be good people. Yeah, just be fucking nice. If you listen to your partner, there might be less divorces out there. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Less murdered camp counselors. Look, me and Viva are sick as fuck and we're still recording. We can hold a conversation without pulling each other's hair out. We'll do this after the episode. Yeah, we'll fight later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hold it together for the next hour. Oh no, that's a long time. (laughs) I do find this scene interesting. I agree. She's giving depth to a character that one, I guess as an audience, you're not even supposed to know that it's him yet, but it explains what happens later on in the film as well. I think it's cool because where I thought this movie was lacking up to this point was reason for happening. Why does Jason want to go back? Other than that, he's just like a ruthless killer. The first one does a good job of being like, Mrs. Voorhees is there to get revenge for the negligence of the counselors. At this point is when you're like, oh, this all makes so much sense because his mother was everything to him and witnessing her death was traumatic. It's almost like the writers were like, why though? Why would he come back? Like we got to give the audience that. And I like when horror movies give you that reasoning. There's so many that don't. It makes me nervous for the rest because like at what point does it not matter anymore? I guess we'll find out. When you get the Jason X and he's in space and shit, it's like, he's not killing people in space because his mom died. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. well, well, we don't know that, actually. Oh, who knows? It's just for the love of the game at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For the love of space. Of the Jeff Bezos. Jason Bezos in space. Oh, that's going to be the next movie. We flash back to the kids hooking up. Couple's all about the fuck. LOL. Vicky going to go change to get ready for sleeping together with Mark. Changes into another sweater and granny panties. Shiny. Uh, Yeah, Vicky changes into way less sexier clothing. Yeah, she's like, let me go get sexy by getting less sexy. (laughs) You said they were shiny. I said poop shiny underwear because they're brown. I don't know who... Look, she was hot up until this point. Up until she decided to put on those (laughs) underwear. While she's out getting ready, there's so many times where we think she's going to get killed. It's all just faking you out. She goes to the car to get a comb. You think that's where she's going to get killed? No, it's not. Then we get a scene of Mark thinking that Vicky has returned. And it doesn't goes. make any sense when he dies. Vicky's outside by the car and she's like, oh, the rain. And then it starts thundering. Pouring. Mark's like, Vicky, is that you? Like, no, it's thunder. Well, what the hell are you talking about, Mark? That was he goes outside. Also Loki's reaction. He's like, who's that? <laughs> yeah. When he hears the thunder. Mark goes out to investigate 
And he gets a hatchet to the face. Fucking just brutal death. He's probably like the saddest death. They did him so wrong that not only did he get a hatchet straight to the face, but they also made him fall down the stairs on a wheelchair. Like, yeah. dude, you didn't have to go that hard. My notes were, he falls down the stairs from the exorcist. I think they just really went hard on some kills and then not at all on others. Honestly, like, they could have just been like, Jason shoved him down the stairs and then he died because he fell. Or something. Oh, I don't that know. is almost a hate crime. Vicky perfumes your badge. Yes. She does do that. <laughs> that was before he dies, though. Yeah. <laughs> you just had to get that point in there. Yeah, because she does it. It's a really weird thing she, to she, do. She, she perfumes her neck. You know, normal, right? She, like, perfumes her chest. Which, fine. And then she, like, looks down, pulls her panties out, and then perfumes inside her pubes. And I'm like, all right, well, that's going to taste nasty. <laughs> Don't think we can leave that in there. Why not? <laughs> we're not family-friendly enough. Literally, this is a horror podcast. We're talking about murder. Yeah. This Don't is not you know a family-friendly podcast. This is the culture where murder is fine, but sex is not okay. <laughs> so what you're saying is that like, if they're getting murdered while doing it, it's fine. Which is what happens next. <laughs> well, I think they finished doing it, actually. At the same time. Sandra and Jeff are finishing up. Sweaty. Jason reaches for the costume that Ted had worn originally to scare the kids, but tosses the mask outside and uses the spear. I don't know why they have a spear just ready there to Sports. scare people. Like they fishing. had bows and arrows before. That's true. Yeah. Could be that. Just not something safe to have around with the serial killer on the loose. Unless you're the one using it, I guess. <laughs> this kill, I feel like, is a reference to Kevin Bacon's kill in the first film. Apparently. Oh, fun fact. The original cut had the actual shot of the spear through the back into both Jeff and Sandra. But, but it was so brutal that the rating company said, take it out or we're giving you a harsher rating. More brutal than through the throat? Maybe because they were naked and stuff like that. Also you know? because she was underage? Possibly, right? They couldn't use the scene. That <laughs> the rating company was like, that girl's underage. And then Paramount's the girl like, is what? clearly underage. <laughs> and they're like, like, no. Sweating. <laughs> like, really? We didn't know. Yeah. That would make more sense because it seems way too tamed another part that actually plays into the formula of this movie this all happens while the main cab director the one who is responsible for all these children is out on the town that's true being there well in this one he actually comes back but on this one he comes back fight hand to hand with jason ted and a bunch of the other group who decided to go to the town Stay there. Paul and Sandra decide to go back to the camp. Vicky, in the meantime, finds Jason because she goes upstairs. She opens the door and then this is the first time we get to see Burlap sack Jason because he comes out of under the sheets and is like, ah, I'm here. She backs up. He slashes her in the leg. She's actually pretty bad at acting, acting afraid. afraid yet. She backs away though and she runs into Jeff who is hung on the door for some reason. So Jason likes to have fun with his kills, I guess. Why didn't he just leave them? It reminds me of Halloween, the first one, where he stages the bodies of the friends around. Yeah, Jason is an odd character in this. I was also thinking about when Alice gets killed in the beginning, he calls her. You would imagine that if Jason hasn't been around like civilization, he wouldn't He doesn't know how to work a phone. He wouldn't know how to get there to where she is, because I think they say she's in Jersey, I think. But like, she's somewhere else completely. So yeah, he it's travels. It's a place you can actually visit. Huh? It's a town you can the actually visit. The camp? Yeah, the where, camp is real. It's like where a, all this was filmed, I want to go. Yeah, the camp is a real working camp. They closed it down just to film. I wouldn't go there just for the lore of this movie. I'd be like, <laughs> no, some psycho is going to try to reenact this whole movie. So fun fact. Oh, man. <laughs> I didn't bring these in. But some of the actresses actually were truly spooked, thinking that things were actually happening. The actress who plays Terry was actually super spooked the entire time of filming. At night, she 
would hear scratching on the windows and stuff like that. So like nature maybe was messing with her and she was too into the movie maybe. But the actress who plays Ginny, the last few scenes where Jason flies through the window to attack her, she was so like actually scared by it, knowing that it was going to happen, that like she would get so stiff right before he would come through the window. The actress who played Vicky also was super scared by a lot of things on set. Like they were just <laughs> spooked by this. And I, I think it has something to do with being out in the middle of in the nature, woods yes. and, and sounds and things like that. Yeah, because when you're used to living in the city, I know we like also stayed in a cabin one time and I'm just not used to the sound of like raccoons going through the trash and stuff like that freaked me out too. So Jason shows up with like a butcher knife because it's pretty big. Why does he take so long to attack her again? Does she hold him back? I don't know. That happens a lot in this movie where people take a really long time to attack anyone. She just cries and it's the She just scene. screams. Yeah. At this point, Ginny and Paul have made their way back to the campsite. They're looking for the camp counselors. They're suspicious because the lights are on? I don't know. I guess if you're running a business and they leave the lights on and they're not supposed to, you're kind of like, like... they wouldn't have left the place like this. Ginny actually makes her way up to the room where everyone had been murdered, but she doesn't find any bodies. She just finds a puddle of blood in the bed, and that's when she calls for Paul. Paul was thinking about how he needs to find a better dealer. He makes that comment about how the a kids have, yeah, kids have better dope than I do. Huh, man? I <laughs> like drugs. Yes, yeah. drugs. <laughs> the drugs. Yeah. So he makes his way up to Jenny. The lights cut off. They come downstairs, and Jenny's like, "Don't leave me." Paul points out that the lights in the kitchen are still on. So he's like, "It's got to be one of the breakers." They go to the kitchen. They're looking around. Jenny completely gets shocked. Jason comes out of nowhere to attack Paul. And then just keeps repeating his name over and over and over again while Paul fights Jason. I believe she sees him. She keeps saying Paul. She's like, Paul, there's someone in here. Paul, there's someone in here. But while they're fighting, she's still like, Paul, Paul, Paul. Yeah, she doesn't help him. <laughs> no, she's I noticed. yelling and moving away. It's like, Paul. And meanwhile, Jason and Paul are tussling in the background. It's silent. And then Jason just pops up out of nowhere. She's like, ah, she runs into a bathroom. It seems like she is trying to hold the bathroom door closed, but also escape through the window at the same time while she thinks that Jason is about to enter through the door he actually has gone around the house and has burst through the window he burst through a lot of windows in this one a lot of these bathrooms don't have locks <laughs> <laughs> different problems right here. because she lets go of the, the doorknob but there's no actual lock on the door that's not a good thing so i wouldn't just assume he's gone no she does she ends up being right because he has burst through the window to attack her she just sprints to the bathroom on the other side of the house she's speculating whether she should jump out the window or not yes. pulls the door tight and then grabs a knife sees him jostling the doorknob and then jason turns into a spartan and just uses a rake to crash through the door he goes straight through the door with his, both his forearms jason is strong as hell <laughs> which i think he only gets stronger as the series goes on right yeah jenny immediately freaks the hell out jumps out the window and then runs to another cabin she runs to her car you see this coming when the first scene happens where she shows up with this junky car you know that later on she's going to try to escape in this car and it's not going to work it's exactly what happens. Tries to turn it on a couple of times, but gives up because Jason has taken that rake and has stuck it in the roof of the car. And now she is just panicking. This scene is funny because he pops up and is like, hey, hey, why didn't he just crash through the window? He can crash the rake He's through doors. He's been crashing through windows this whole time. <laughs> yeah. She gets out the car, knocks him off the car somehow, and he like rolls onto the ground. And that kind of gives Jason a little bit more like humanity. Because he has some humanity in this one. He's not like invincible. He can be yes. knocked down and fought hand to hand like Paul did. But she runs away, hides by a tree. He turns the corner and she kicks him in the nuts. Not a nut kicking <laughs> Again, in humanity. Kicked him in the humanity. Kicked him in the humanity. <laughs> she just sprints into the woods. She does find another cabin eventually and is hiding under the bed. This is where we get the scene that a rat 
crawls underneath the bed with her. We don't know if it's because of the fear of Jason or the fear of the rat that she pees herself. Allegedly, it's the rat that was supposed to have peed itself. Yeah, I, I read don't somewhere buy that. that the writers were thinking it's the rat that peed itself. But it's like, no. <laughs> I thought it was meant to show just how afraid she was of everything going on. Right, because the pee comes out. That's when Jason turns around and is like, oh, she's under the bed. He hides and she sees a clearing to the doorway. That's when she starts to crawl out. Jason is on top of a chair that's flimsy. It breaks under him and he misses the rake to her face. Which is just lucky at <laughs> yeah. that point for her. She runs up and grabs the chainsaw though. That we see her with earlier that you obviously know she's gonna use. <laughs> this is something that bothered me about this scene. She fights him off with the chainsaw and he is afraid. He does back up and get cut. She does this a lot. She doesn't finish the job. She then grabs a chair and slams it on him. I think you just should have not let go of the chainsaw. My and friend. just go in on it. Just make sure it's done. I guess we have to be on the side of these are just innocent kids. Like, okay, throw us into a horror movie. We know, fuck that guy up and make sure to like finish him off. You're in self-defense mode. You gotta just this make sure this person is very clearly gone. trying to hurt her though. If they get up, they're gonna kill you. I think she should know that at this point. I, I don't, don't know. know if that argument holds up. I don't know, babe. You would be surprised with how many people are like, no, you're not gonna do it because humanity and like, oh, but it's like, no, dude, at the end but of the she's day. She's already kicked him in the humanity. Yes. <laughs> You got his chainsaw in here. Make sure that he's done. <laughs> That's true. So at this point, she's chainsawed him, slammed a chair on him, and is still running. And he, she comes upon the shack. The shack that we're supposed to gather, he's been living in for quite a while. It's very decrepit. As she's trying to hide in there, she hears him coming, bolts the door down, and finally sees what the cop had seen earlier, but the audience hadn't. That Jason has set up a shrine to his mother's decapitated head. It looks nothing like her. <laughs> well, if it's been five years, it would be very decomposed. Actually, I think it would be a skeleton at this point, unless he's done something to try to preserve it. Along with her head, we see her sweater has been laid over there as well. He's got other bodies there, right? From people yes. he's killed that night? He's got the bodies of all the camp counselors, and I believe the body of Alice as well. That looks like it's in a more serious stage of decomposition. I'm wondering what that's about. Is it just like, here's an offering to you? I mom? believe so. Alice is definitely an offering. It's the one that killed her. He is probably finishing her work at this point. Jenny is freaking the fuck out. Jason is trying to smash his way through the door. Jenny kneels by the shrine and just quickly thinks, let me put on a sweater. I'm guessing she's using her child psychology to try to combat Jason. This is the point where I thought maybe she's going to try to put Mrs. Voorhees' head on. But I was no. like, how's that going to work? Because she just keeps staring at the head. So I was like... She's uh, trying to see how her hair is. You didn't, <laughs> no, I didn't gather that? that. Yeah, she's, she's trying, trying to... See if her head fits on her. No. Ew. No. <laughs> Jason finally gets in. Jenny puts on this act like she's Miss Voorhees. And is just like, yes, Jason. Krill for mommy. Yeah, so it's creepy. so weird that she has to act like this. The work is done now, Jason. You've done a good job. Mother is pleased. We get really Ed Gein about it here with the whole obsession with mommy. She does tell him to kneel. He kind of fights her a little bit, but she says, Jason, mother is talking to you. This kind of gets him to kneel down. I think it's a cool effect that they keep putting Mrs. Voorhees' face over Ginny. You're seeing her from Jason's point of view because it keeps phasing in and phasing out. When it phases out, Jason almost is like, wait, no, you're not my mom. Yeah, it illustrates his confusion at the moment. Again, probably a deeper understanding of a character that I don't know if we're ever going to get again right after this genie takes the longest time to hit him with a machete 
She moves slightly and Jason can see his mom's head out on the shrine and is like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to get tricked and puts his pickaxe in the way when Ginny tries to hit him. That's when Paul comes out of nowhere. He is not dead. And fights Jason. The shack is kind of falling in on them. Ginny actually helps this time. (laughs) She takes the machete and buries it in his shoulder and they believe it to be over so much so that they uncover his face. But you, the audience, doesn't get to see it. And I thought we weren't going to see it at all. Ah! Yeah, and they're just disgusted. Not only did you just stab this guy, you're just like disgusted by his face. (laughs) They go find another cabin... Ginny has been injured in this fight. Her leg has been slashed. They take refuge here. And immediately get spooked by some noise by the front door. They open the door, and it's this Wookiee dog muffin. <laughs> Very cute. It was so Very cute. Funny. And then similar effect to the first one, where it's like super amazing, happy-go-lucky music. Everyone's like, oh my god, muffin, it's you. You know something's about to happen when the camera has a wide pan of where Ginny is. There's a window behind her. This is where I think Ginny was an idiot. If you're really that spooked, you wouldn't go near any entry. Like, they move away from the door. There's a window behind you. But you also think he's dead at this point. Do you, though? I don't know. They do double tap. They did not. (laughs) I would also like to point out that Muffin has probably seen some shit. Honestly. Walks up to the door like, I've been severely traumatized. (laughs) You think she was dead up until this point because when Jeff and Sandra were in the woods, they see a dead dog, which makes you kind of confirm that Muffin's dead. Muffin is the one that killed that dog. (laughs) Muffin is Jason's dog. She learned from Jason now. Yeah. He's been feeding counselors to her. She eats raw. (laughs) Nothing but raw. She's Cujo's lost cousin. Plot twist. (laughs) But... This is a long way to say that Jason just jumps through the window and crashes onto Jenny and it's like slow mode. And then you see his face. He's got a beard. He's got no hair. Does he have a beard? He's got a beard, yeah. For a second, I almost tweaked because I thought that it was two guys <laughs> that jumped through the window. Right. They show you the scene from two different angles. Yeah. At first, you can see his deformed side. And then on the left side, you see he's got like a beard. And oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So he pulls her. It just like pans white. In a scene that is very reminiscent to the first film where Alice is in the lake and she thinks she is safe. No, Jason pops out of the water. He pops out of the window in this very similar style. Jenny gets pulled away into an ambulance and is screaming, Paul, where's Paul? Where's Paul? You don't actually see what happens. So fun fact, apparently nobody knows what happens to Paul. Okay. It's just never explained. (laughs) Okay, I think that's what I wanted to ask you. Like, does Paul survive or not? Because he's not seen. Apparently even the cast doesn't know. Like, I was looking at fun facts and they're like, yeah, nobody knows what Paul. It's part of the lore. What happened to Paul? Like, did he die? Did he win? Did he just leave? Is he Jason? Hmm, interesting. He's the one killing kids because he doesn't want to actually he actually hates his job (laughs) i think actually seeing his face is a big reveal for audiences probably something that we saw a little bit of in the first film but like throughout this whole film we're like why is he wearing this sack over his face he ages very quickly in five years if he (laughs) is 13 in the first movie and this is five years later he would be an 18 year old man but he looks like he's been through 30 (laughs) well he's been living in the woods he saw his mother die so yeah well credits no, 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 hold on. We get a, just a close-in shot of Mrs. Voorhees' head on this shrine. You think something's going to happen and nothing happens. Yeah, I completely believe that as we got closer and closer to her face, we were going to see her open her eyes or something. And that's how Jason knows what to do or something. I don't know. Yeah, turns out Jason's not crazy. She's been alive this whole time. Yeah, she watched <laughs> She just forgot to moisturize. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. 
Yeah, that's Friday the Thirteenth Part, part Two. Part Two. Please. Jason's Revenge. No, I'm just kidding. no wait, well, that's honestly, the other one. Huh? I, I kind of. <laughs> there is a Jason's Revenge though. Oh, is there? Okay. Yeah. Oh no no, I might that's be thinking of Friday's Revenge. No, right? I might be thinking of Michael's Revenge. There's a Michael's Revenge. Everyone gets revenge. Everyone's when they were the one killing oh. in the first place. Aren't these all revenge? It's the revenge for my revenge that you got revenge on. I got stopped in my first revenge. This is my second one. <laughs> Can we bring them back to this now that the copyright is back to whoever owns it? I don't know if that's completely settled, though. I think yeah. that's what we said we were going to look up at the end of this. Screenwriter Victor Miller from the original Friday the 13th won his legal battle and got the domestic rights to the Friday the 13th franchise. So Ooh. who knows what that means for the franchise's future, but it's definitely a victory for Victor Miller. Yeah, just like everyone else, I'm kind of curious what this means. Does he now get to promote this movie as his own and go on and make the next storyline for Jason? Who knows? You know what we should do? Mm. I don't know if this will come up a lot. We should get our resident lawyer to pop in and let us know what it actually means and then just put a blurb of Brenda explaining. <laughs> Brenda explains. Yeah. Law jargon. This is kind of cool. It's cool to see that the original creator has the rights back. One of them, right? Because screenwriter, what does that necessarily mean? Like he did the script, like he did the character himself. Character himself. Because it's like John Carpenter very clearly owns Myers, right? Wes Craven. Clearly owns Ghostface and Freddy. I don't know who clearly owns Jason. So, I guess to clarify, it sounds like Victor Miller was in a legal battle against Sean Cunningham, who was the director of the first film. Miller tried to claim that he was the domestic owner of the Friday the 13th franchise. And Cunningham was like, no, you did that under hire for us while we were working on the film. I could see how that really sucks, though, because it's a character you created. How are you supposed to know that it blows up? like this i'd be pissed you could say that about anything any work contract that you sign like i've done this enough where it's like anything that you come up with is intellectual property to the company you work for i can see why a lot of people want to work for themselves now yeah it'd be shitty if you came up with something that blows up and you can't even have the rights to it approval to any of it we were talking about this last time with steve ditko i think his estate is battling to get the rights to dr strange and spider-man again that is a tough one yeah but I am interested to see where it goes and if we get more. What did you think? It's you okay. go first. Oh, man. I think I like the first one better because special effects were definitely great. There's not much to it as far as plot and stuff like that goes. Yeah, I like the fact that Ginny gives the psychological background as to why Jason's doing what he's doing. I would give this movie a seven and a half. Because it's not scary. The fact that you can fight Jason makes him human. Right and, now. And honestly, yeah, right, like right now. So, like, honestly, anybody could have possibly taken him down. He just had the advantage because he was hiding and no one knew he was there. So, we had to look it up because I didn't remember what I rated the first Friday the 13th. Sounds like I gave it the same exact rating as the first one. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, do you want to change your rating or no? I definitely thought the first one was better. But I feel like it's unfair to change my mind. You could like it for different reasons. Yeah. I would have hated it had it not done the Ginny psychology piece. It brought back the color that we got from the first one, which I liked about the first one. Yeah. So I keep the seven and a half. Okay. I will... Man, we're so boring. We just agree on everything. <laughs> but definitely like the first better. The kills were just... First of all, you could see the kills. They were just way more creative and well done. No offense to the current makeup artist. Maybe he got better with time. There is just something about 
Ginny's character that saves this whole movie. I'm gonna give it a seven. I also kind of have like a special fondness for this movie because it was on the night before we got married and I was oh. watching this specific scene with Ginny and the head of Mrs. Voorhees. And we had seen the first one at this point. I didn't know that this was the second at the time. I was just like, oh, one of the Friday the 13th is on. So I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Okay. For those reasons. That's good. At least we're consistent. If anything, Miss Voorhees was more resourceful than Jason was. I was thinking like... Miss Voorhees used bow and arrows. Like, she knew a lot. She was also very strong. <laughs> this is just a strong family. Yeah, Jason has a lot to learn. And maybe he does. Do you want to talk about what scared Loki about this movie? <laughs> Loki hated this whole movie. You think similar so? To, yeah, similar to how he hated Freddy's laugh last week. He hated all the nature sounds, which is basically what happens the entire film. <laughs> I guess he's not a fan of our slasher month. It's okay. We're going to take him to a state park nearby soon. To get him used to the wilderness. We had put chips in a bowl while we were watching this movie. And any time I would reach into the bowl and like try to grab a chip, it would make a funny sound in the glass. He did not like it. He <laughs> couldn't figure out where it was coming from. He kept looking at the ceiling. <laughs> he thought it was the speakers. He thought it was outside. And he just could not figure out it was the bowl. You were doing scene. it literally in front of him and he yes. would still look outside. No, it can't be that. It's the outside scary world. Do you want to tell us about it, Loki? Oh, is that what you were scared about? Our poor food choices? <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't think that's going to end anytime soon. I literally can't see Loki. I can't cook right now. Okay. <laughs> we're just eating chips. This guy eats better than we do, though. You hate that I do this, but I really want to try his bacon, egg, and cheese treats. You're so gross. <laughs> just get a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. You don't have to eat his treats. Look, if you're not willing to eat your own dog's food, then why are you feeding it to your dog? Ew. Yeah, but are we pretty much done here today? We are. Thank you so much for listening to us. This was Friday the 13th Part 2. It was exciting. I can't wait till next week. What are we covering? Next week, we are covering Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. Ooh. Which is... Uh, very different from the first. Oh, yeah. The theme is completely different. Did um, not expect that to happen. Excited to talk about it. It's ridiculous. As always, we hope you guys had a good time here with us. You can follow us pretty much anywhere at Shaken Out Scared Pod, except Twitter. Twitter is Shaken Scared Pod. You can send us an email at shakenoutscaredpod at gmail.com. You can support the show on Patreon. We'll name our next drink after you with mentions on our website where the drink page will live forever. You can listen to us on all your favorite podcasting sites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, a bunch of others. Give us a listen. Give us a follow. Yeah, they're looking a treat. It's still pumpkin season. There's plenty. Be sure to like, rate, review, all that good stuff. And enjoy spooky season. Literally go out there and just go to a pumpkin patch. Just eat all the pumpkins. You Send see. us all your like carved pumpkins. We want to see them. Oh, that'd be fun. Yes. But okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.